Please stand for the reading of the gospel. It's from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then, he remembered his, then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother the Mary of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Going with a different mic, folks. (laughs) That one's dead, and I don't know why. Our poem this morning is from Anne Weems' Kneeling in Jerusalem, and this is entitled In Search of New Resurrections. We in the church are in danger of becoming a tearless people, unable to rage even in a starless abyss. We have imitated a smiling society glossing over the hurt, the oppression, the peacelessness on earth, or we have become caustic and cynical and despairing, insisting on looking the other way as our church members crawl to the altar, the scraps of their lives in their arms. We were created for covenant keeping, and yet we are in danger of becoming a blind-hearted people, of becoming or buying into the system, placing our hope with kings and corporations. Have we not seen? Have we not heard? We persist in clinging to the way things are, or eagerly placing our faith in the newest religious fad, the latest book on how how to Christianity in 10 easy steps, or the current slogans presented as though they were the word of God. We are programming and papering ourselves into perpetuity and rationalizing and excusing our immorality. We spend our energy in complaining, gloomily forecasting our future together. We panic for positions in employment and committee, with each special interest group vying for first place in the kingdom. Perhaps it's time for remembering that Jesus stood in the Jordan to be baptized with the others, long ago casting his lot 
not with the good church people, but with the poor, wherever the, that poverty might emerge. His name is Emmanuel, and yet individually and corporately, we have named him God with me. Have we not seen? Have we not heard? In the light of the cross, the alternative is anything but hopelessness. On the contrary, there is every scriptural indication that we are called to change who we are into the kingdom of God. Where change is possible, new resurrections loom. So since I've been here, we've talked a lot about what the future of the church look like. We've talked a bit about what needs to happen, what kind of changes need to happen in the church. And I'm not talking about Wesley United Methodist Church. I'm talking about capital C Church, the big church. What needs to change? What needs to happen that's different? And there have been some people here, I'm not going to point fingers or name names, but there are some people who said, you've told us that we need to do stuff, but you haven't told us what we need to do. Tell us what we need to do. I don't know what you need to do. I have no idea what you need to do. The truth is, I've never been in this place before myself. Nobody has been part of the church that has just come through a pandemic. Nobody has done all of this before, so we have a roadmap to exactly what happens. But on this Easter Sunday, when we hear of the women who have gone to the tomb and find that tomb empty, how do you think they felt? We don't have any scriptural account of them stamping their feet and saying, tell us what to do. Show us the way. Where were the disciples? Hiding? They were afraid they were next in line to be crucified. So it was the women who took the good news to them. The problem with church people is we always wait for somebody else to do the hard, heavy lifting. We have a wonderful habit called we'll wait and see. The next pastor, the next district superintendent, the next bishop, they'll take care of it. They'll tell us what to do. And what did the angel say to the women? Do not be afraid. You've never heard this scripture before? <laughs> Truly? How many times does an angel appear in scripture and their first words are, do not be afraid? It's sort of like if an angel shows up in your life, you better be afraid. <laughs> so what are we afraid of? Why do we think that we get away without having to struggle a little bit? Why do we think that Easter 
doesn't really make any difference in our lives. If this day, this event of Jesus rising from the dead doesn't change your life, so what? Why are you here? Trust me, I'm not taking attendance and nobody's going to get a letter saying, gee, we were really glad you were in church this Sunday. We're going to send it to your boss. We're going to send it to your teacher. Everybody gets a gold star for being in church on Easter Sunday. Nope. You're here because you're looking for something to fill your life with light and love. And if it doesn't matter, I don't know what to say. It isn't a big so what. I know at Christmas everybody gets all turned on because we have this baby and then we can all go home and open presents and you know we have we have something to show for it. Easter kind of gets short Mike card, you might get the chocolate bunny, but you don't get the same kind of hype for months ahead of time that you do for Christmas. But Easter is what takes your heart and rips it out of your body for the week beforehand and then puts it back in and fills your heart with promise and hope and joy. And if you don't feel that, I'm sorry for you. It troubles me sometimes that we don't believe that we have the capacity to change the world one person at a time. Very often we will say, we can't do that, we're too small. We don't have enough faith to do that kind of thing. We can't do big stuff. And I agree with you, you can't. Big stuff takes a lot of organization, and you have to have money. But what really is troubling is that because you don't get to do the great big things, you think you can't do anything. And my friends, if today doesn't propel you into the world to say, I care about you, I love you, I want you to be happy too, then I guess there is no hope for the state of the world. But I, for one, refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that we are all doomed that life is over and this is it. Because there are places and pockets of people throughout the world where life is changing today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Where little things are happening. You have a perfect opportunity here to impact the lives of people right in your own community through family promise. Or 
agencies that are working with to do. There's enough work for all of us. We don't have to say this is the only thing and they don't need my help. There's plenty to do right here. There are people who are hungering for someone to sit and hold their hand. There are people who need someone to take them to a doctor's appointment or to get them somewhere to see a lawyer or to an agency where they can get assistance. But we're busy and we can fill our calendars with all kinds of stuff and not see the need in front of us. But what's interesting to me is that Jesus didn't do that. Jesus never said, you know, I'm too busy, I'll, you know, make an appointment and maybe I'll see you next Thursday. There were a couple of times when Jesus was tired and he didn't really have patience with people, but he came around. We need to get out of our own way. We need to see what God sees. We need to be willing to change for the better. You're great people. You really are great people, but you can be better. You can do more. You can be more active. This commitment to Jesus is not Sunday for an hour. The commitment to Jesus is a lifetime commitment. My granddaughter, Emily, who's supposed to be coming home with me on Wednesday, but chose to go to Tennessee instead, so I'm kind of annoyed, told me she wanted to be baptized at camp this year. Now, I think it's interesting that she's 15 years old, and I'm a pastor, and there's another pastor in the family, and she wasn't baptized as an infant. That's a whole different story. But I asked Emily why she wanted to be baptized. Why now, Em? Why is it important now? And she said, because you take me to camp, I've gotten to know who Jesus is. I've gotten to be able to see Jesus with my own eyes and to see Jesus with my heart. Nah, <laughs> of course I did. I burst into And I said, why the camp? And she said, well, that's where I, I met Jesus, was at camp. That's where Jesus became real, was at camp. So if anybody here wondering how you can reach children and young people in our culture now, go to camp. There's not one camp in this conference that won't take you as a volunteer. You can go for a week, you can go for the summer, you can go for an afternoon, you can go for supper. 
And if they won't take you here, I know of several camps in New York that will take you. But seriously, you want to change lives? You want to see kids grow? Go to camp. You want to connect with the next generation? Go to camp. You want to know what young people think? Go to camp and stay in a cabin with them. You want to see kids come alive? Watch young people in worship with music that speaks to them. It's an incredible experience. And there are times I think about Jesus and I think, I'm old enough to be Jesus' grandma. And seriously, Jesus was just a kid when he started his ministry. He was young with a new idea, a new mission that came from God. But some of us don't hear that quite so soon, so we have to wait and go when we're a little bit older. But the funny thing about God and God's call is that it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, God has a job for you. God has something that God wants you to do. Or you can When you decide that Jesus isn't important, or that God can wait, you're hurting yourself more than you're hurting God or Jesus. So what? So what are you called to do? So what is God asking your heart? to open wide for. So what is your task for the kingdom of God? So what? So what? Amen.